Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. It's Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Good morning. Happy 4th of July weekend. Great to be with you all. So we're continuing this summer series on asking the question, how do we cultivate a life with God, uh, this rich inner life with the creator of the universe? And we're talking specifically, what, what are some of the practices, what are some of the habits or liturgies that we can engage in on a regular basis that will help facilitate that relationship with God. And so we started by spending three weeks looking at Scripture, reading Scripture, and how we encounter God through the Scripture. And then, now we're spending two weeks on the topic of prayer. Uh, last week, Todd Pickett, who is present uh, after not talking with Mark all week, I imagine. Uh, they got a way to not talk together. How was not talking with Mark? Yeah, good. Uh, so Todd laid this just great foundation for, for what a life of prayer looks like, reminding us that we, we've got this Heavenly Father who loves us, who uh, wants to give us good things, and that prayer is this doorway into a relationship with God, where, and it's really a two-way conversation. I appreciated hearing that, where on the one hand, we, we, uh, we open up our hearts to Him, we share what's going on in our hearts, and at the same time, we allow Him, essentially, to open up His heart to us and to share what he wants. And, and praying really is, it is that kind of two-way dialogue conversation. I don't know, when we're younger, sometimes prayer is just rattling off a list of requests to God. Um, but I think prayer is very much as much listening as it is speaking to God. And so, um, thank you, Todd. Fantastic. Just foundation of prayer. And, and what I want to do today now is get really practical. And that's what we're trying to do with each one of these Habits. We'll, we'll start big picture, and then we'll kind of go, okay, how do, we, how do we do this on a daily basis? What does this actually look like? And um, I'm using this very familiar passage on prayer. I'll be focusing in on verse 6 through 7. Let me read it to you again. Don't be anxious about anything. Easier said than done. Uh, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This, this picture of a life of rather than being anxious, we present our requests to God and we experience the peace of God. 
Most of us have heard this passage. Some of us have this memorized. We love the idea of it, but my guess is the lived out reality of this, reality of this still proves elusive for some of us. So I'm gonna get real practical. How do, we, how do we engage in prayer on a daily basis in a way that really is helpful to our relationship with God? So I wanna walk through those two verses. Before they do that, I wanna, I wanna address a question that Todd asked last week, which is a really important one. Um, he didn't maybe phrase it quite like this, but it was, Really, um, what are the barriers to, to your prayer life with God? What, what are the things that keep you from a rich prayer life? And Todd kind of w- talked about the, the deep, maybe false beliefs we have about who God is uh, that might k- keep us from really praying to him fervently or regularly. Ideas like, you know, maybe God is, he's just, um, he's too busy. He's got more important things to do. He's not that available. I mean, running the universe is a, a busy job and, why would he care about little old me? Um, some of us have ideas of him as, as maybe not a father, or, or maybe he was like our earthly fathers. And, and so we, when we think about him, we think he is disappointed in us, or maybe even angry with us, uh, or that our, our prayers are not legitimate in some way. So these, these deep kind of spiritual assumptions about who God is that can get in the way of a praying life. And today I want to bring up one other one, and this one maybe is just much more kind of practical, just basic to our culture today that I think really keeps us from a life of prayer. And it's this, that, that we live in this culture in Orange County in 2017, that is, most things are really pushing us towards independence and self-sufficiency, actually. We're, everything is moving us in that direction of, of self-sufficiency and independence. And we live in a time and place where uh, we can kind of almost get away with living a life where we don't really feel like we need God very much. You know, I was thinking, and part of that is, is a blessing. We live in this country that we celebrate this weekend um, where we can be Christians and not be persecuted. That is a wonderful thing. We live in a time of incredible technological advancements where technology has solved a lot of problems for us, so medical advancements that have solved so many problems. We live in a county, of course, that has experienced almost unrivaled economic and material prosperity compared to the rest of the world for, the, for all of time. And so there's all these great blessings, but part of that is if there is ever a group of people in the history of the world who might be able to get away with the illusion that we kind of don't need God to live a, a flourishing existence, it would be us, <laughs> right? I mean, we can kind of get away with thinking that way. And so, and so when it comes to just dealing with the problems of our lives, it's easy just to assume control, that we can fix and we can do these things. I was listing things that um, is easy to do for us that other generations can do. Am I hurt? Generally, I can take a pill and make the pain go away. Is something broken? I can call somebody to fix it. Uh, is something dirty? I can pay someone to clean it. Is something unknown? I can ask Siri to answer it for me. Uh, so even if intellectually, I know that God is sovereign, he's control, I depend on him, at a gut level, just culturally, as a person living here, at a gut level, when problems come, my, my gut response tends to be to seek human solutions to what I consider are human problems. So at just a gut level, when something comes up, I, I move towards trying to solve and trying to fix within the resources that I and the culture around me has provided for me. And that, that can be a big barrier to prayer, to this life of, of dependence and, and going, what Paul's saying, just going straight to God for our answers to our problems, for, for help 
because we kind of think, I can, I can kind of do this. You resonate with any of that? Okay. So the problem with that, that is this, that for all of our technological advancements, for all of our economic prosperity, all the growing ability that we have to exercise a level of control over our environment, you know what still proves elusive in the human heart? <laughs> the peace of God <laughs> that Paul talks about in verse 7. And you know what is on the rise in the human heart? Uh, the anxiety that Paul talks about in verse 6. For all of our growing control of our environment, we are not becoming a less anxious people. You could probably argue we're actually becoming a more anxious people. And I think that's because our hearts, even for all this control, our hearts still intuitively know actually we're not in control. There's still so many factors that I can't control. So I'm living in a place that's telling me I should have control over my environment, but there's this gnawing suspicion in my heart that actually I don't have control. And the result is anxiety, right? Anxiety happens when, when you're counting on something that you kind of, your heart intuitively knows, I, I can't totally count on that. I was thinking of a psalm this week that gets at this. Psalm 127, pretty familiar to some of you. The psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We can say this of, of our family. We can say this of a nation, right? I mean, you could do all the work, but if God's not going to do his thing, it's in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You can do all your human work, but unless God chooses to bless something, it, it's vain. And then this phrase here. Oops. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, okay? People who think they're in control and they need to make their lives happen, they get up really early and they go to bed really late, right? You work really long hours because you think it's up to me. He says, that's in vain. Here's what you're doing. You're eating the bread of anxious toil. And that phrase hits me, anxious toil. Anxious toil is what you feel when you think it's up to me. I've got to be in control of this. But you kind of know I'm not really in control. And so you feel anxiety and you work really hard to try to fix your problems. Anxious toil. Thinking I'm in control, it's up to me. And Jesus and the scriptures present a very radical different, a radically different picture of reality than this which is this, hey, guess what? You're not in control. <laughs> so just let's remove that illusion. You're not in control, and that's perfectly okay because God is in control, and he is your heavenly father. He loves you. He cares for you. He's like a dad who enjoys giving good gifts to his kids, and so practically, how do you live in that? Paul's saying, well, you live this life where you re regularly go to God and you present your request to him so that you might experience the peace of your loving heavenly father. All right, so let me walk through this. I'm going to move real quickly through these verses. Begins in verse 6 where I want to start. Do not be anxious, and I was really struck about this one, uh, about anything, <laughs> Don't be anxious about it. I don't know about you. I divide my life into categories, those things that are worth worrying about and those things that are not worth worrying about. And Paul's like, actually, you don't actually need the first category. Okay, you, you don't. You, you don't need to be anxious about anything. Instead, he has a really simple and really radical suggestion. Instead of being anxious, the, the command is at the end of verse 6, present your requests to God. So simple, so radical. Instead of turning over in your heart the things that are going on, just turn it over to God in prayer. 
And so I, I want to ask you for a second, um, what is your strategy for dealing with the problems of your life? Like what, what's your regular kind of habitual response to when problems and issues come up? What, 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 what do problems trigger for you? And I'll, I'll tell you what my current strategy in my life has been. Uh, my strategy is anxious toil. Okay, so this is how this, I'm being honest, this is how this works. A problem comes up and I have a strategy. Uh, part number one is uh, worry about it, okay? Problem comes up, my strategy, worry about it. Worry about it for a while, turn it over, and then part two of the strategy is now figure out a way to fix it. Anxious toil is my strategy for solving problems. Paul says, I've got a better strategy for you. Uh, rather than doing all of that, why don't you just, right then, problem comes up, why don't you just present the request to God? turn it over with prayer and petition, and give it over to God. Now, the, the, the underlying question behind the strategies is this. Uh, who do I think is ultimately responsible for the problems and issues of my life? Who, who do I think should, should bear the final weight for the issues in my life? And the scriptures actually give an interesting answer. The answer is actually God. Let God Take the ultimate responsibility for the issues and problems that you face. I was thinking of another psalm this week. It says this. I love this image of God. Praise be to the Lord who daily bears our burdens. And the metaphors, right? I've got problems that they're a weight. They weigh me down. But say, we have this God. He, will, he can bear those burdens. He's He's real strong. Like, he can carry a lot of weight. He can handle whatever burden you feel is on your back. You can actually put it in his hands. He bears it already. He can bear it for you. And so Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the word that cast is literally throw upon, okay? The idea is anxiety is like this weight that we feel, right? And he's saying, you can actually take that and throw it on God. Try to remove it from yourself. Say, God, you carry this weight. You worry about this. And God is perfectly happy to do that. And he's perfectly able to do that. He will not drop the weight. He, he is strong enough to handle all the weight that all of us carry. So it's this beautiful picture. is Take the weight and present it to God in prayer. It's his ultimate responsibility. And um, again, so simple to say, so hard to do. But this is really consistent with what Jesus presents to us about life. I'm thinking of what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you don't actually have to worry about your life. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, right? What you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He says, you know what? Everybody worries about that stuff. That's what the world worries about. And God, your Father, he'll take care of you. He knows you need these things. Your responsibility is this. You seek first God. You seek his kingdom, okay? You worry about that. You let him worry about the issues of your life. You just pursue him. You focus on him. He is more than able and willing to take care of the issues and, and promises. So you want to worry about something? You just worry about focusing on God. Let him worry about this. He can bear the weight of your problems. He knows what he wants to do with them. He's more than competent and more than willing to do that. And then there's this phrase stuck in there that I think makes all the difference in the world in verse 6. Uh, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and here's the phrase that you know, with what? With thanksgiving. Yes, present your requests. It, it, this is not, um, you know, just about 
rattling off requests to God, but it's, no, no, I come to you, I come to you with thanksgiving. I come with this, with this grateful heart. I come to you remembering who you are, that you are my heavenly father, that you do love me. I, I come to you when I have requests, when I come up against a situation in my life, remembering all that you've done for me in Jesus Christ, that you've saved me, that you love me, you forgive me, that I have eternal life. However this thing goes, I'm going to be with you in eternity. And I come to you with a history of you having followed through, you having come through in the clutch in years past. I'm still here and you've worked in my life. And so I don't come as a blank slate to every new problem I face. No, I come knowing this wealth of, of faithfulness that you have been for me. And I bring that into my request. God, thank you. I'm, I'm so thankful for who you are and what you're doing. Now, here's my request. And uh, for me, you know, there's something about gratitude. Gratitude does something amazing to anxiety. And I'm speaking as a person who has always struggled with low-grade anxiety. That it's almost like, um, I mean, gratitude is the great an antidote to anxiety. Like, it's like there's this place in my heart, and either anxiety can be there or gratitude can be there, but they, they don't fit together well. It's like if gratitude is there, it's hard to be anxious when I'm grateful, <laughs> and it's hard to be grateful when I'm anxious. But I think about anxiety. Anxiety is, is such a, um, it's, I experience it's such a self-centered emotion in terms of anxiety turns me in on myself. It, it, my world becomes very small and, and myopic when I'm, when I'm anxious. It, it feels like the fog just kind of descends and I can't see out. And, and gratitude is a, is a very God-centered uh, posture. It, it, gratitude is very expansive. My, when, I, when I'm grateful, my world opens up again. I kind of see life in all of what it is, and I, and I see things more in, in their perspective. And so Paul's reminding us, come with grateful hearts. And everything, he'll say, give thanks. And then there's the promise of verse 7. So don't be anxious, but with thanksgiving, let your gut response be to turn things over regularly in prayer. Right? That, let that be your strategy. I go to God in prayer. Let, when you're alone, when you're with others, hey, let's go to God in prayer. Let's, just, let's move right to prayer. Let's jump right to prayer. Let that be the gut response. Here's the promise. I love this, verse 7. Well, I'm bummed. He actually doesn't promise. Um, and your requests will be answered in the ways that you desire. <laughs> I wish that was the promise. But it's not. But this is the promise. And even this one proves elusive for us sometimes. In the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't promise to answer all our prayers the way we want, but he does promise the peace of God. If you look down in verse 9, at the very end of verse 9, there's a, a similar promise, which is that the God of peace will be with you. And so I was thinking about the God of peace. I was thinking this week, um, God is a very peaceful God. God is chill. You know, God is never anxious. And when we went through our Ezekiel series, when we looked at our Revelation series, whenever someone gets access into heaven, they always see what? They see a throne, and God is always sitting on the throne. It's this picture of God being in total control, okay? He's not up there pacing back and forth. He's not biting his nails. He's at peace. He's at rest. He, he, he's never anxious, he is the God of peace, of shalom. And God is at peace, not just with the world in general, but he's at peace with, with my circumstances. So God is never anxious about, you know, 
the upcoming sermon that I have to preach. He's never anxious about it. He's never anxious about the, the issues we're dealing with with our daughters. He's never anxious about a, a relational conflict I'm, I'm having with somebody. Um, he knows exactly why those have been brought into my life. He, he already knows exactly how he wants to use those for my good to grow me and to ultimately bless me for eternity. He's never anxious about any of those things. He is the God of peace. And the promise here is that that he can give the peace that he has, he can give to his kids, the peace of God. And, and the word here is actually that his peace will guard our hearts and minds. And it's a military image. It's, it's a picture of, in the first century, like a, a garrison of soldiers that would come into a town to guard the town from, you know, oncoming attack. And so the pictures, our hearts and minds are like this town. And God, when we offer it with thanksgiving, our prayers, his peace can come and guard our hearts and minds from the oncoming anxieties and and false beliefs, that his peace will guard us, and it's a peace that transcends understanding. Even when we we don't even understand how how he's going to solve our problems, that his peace is there to guard us. That's the life we're invited into, this life of, of trusting dependency on our Heavenly Father, that it gets expressed in, in constantly going to Him for prayer, for the things we need. All right, so let's get real practical for the last five minutes. Uh, you've got a handout in your bulletins, and I want to I talk you through, as we did with Scripture, we'll, we'll do this with everything we walk through. You'll get a handout probably every two weeks for, through the summer. Um, you can turn into a summer notebook. Uh, it'll be great. Um, so this is just, this is just me. You know, this, this is just my suggestions of what, what would a, a, a life of faithful prayer on a day-to-day basis look like? What, what are we actually talking about? How do you, how do you actually do this? From, from morning to evening, what, what might this look like? And this is something that, honestly, I don't do uh, a lot of my days. So this is what I would like to do <laughs> in my days. But this feels um, very doable. It feels very sustainable. It feels very life-giving. So let me just talk you through what I would encourage you in. I've got that Psalm 92 quote. I love that. It is good to praise the Lord, to proclaim your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. And I think there's something to morning and evening prayer, to beginning our days in prayer, to ending our days in prayer. And then I've got some stuff of what you do in the middle. Um, But let me talk you through this. So I would encourage morning prayer. Um, and we already talked about reading scripture in the morning, so I wouldn't make prayer a, another discipline. I w- it would just be part of my morning reading of scripture. Um, so I have here a prayerful reading of scripture, reading relation. We talked you know, a couple weeks ago about how when we open the word, we're not just reading for information or even just for application, but the whole point is reading the word to engage our relationship with God, to, to, to read relationally. And, and really, for, for me, I don't separate reading scripture and prayer that much. They're so intertwined with one another. And, and that's, I think, what we want. We want a very prayerful reading of scripture. So as I'm reading, I'm talking to God. I'm listening for his spirit to speak through his words to me. So prayer is such a, a natural part of that. All right, so I want, I want you to picture um, wherever you might read scripture in the morning. Um, some of you are doing your, your reading plans, summer reading plans. Nice. Alan Powell and I are doing some marine plans. I know my wife is too. It's three of us. No, I've been, I've been hearing that a lot of you are doing it. It's, it's great. So I want you to picture 
We're in John's gospel right now, right? So tomorrow will be John what? Will we be in now? Six, seven. She just dominated you. Six, seven. Um, so you've read, uh, you've read a passage of scripture prayerfully. And then I would move to prayer out of that. So I've got the second bullet point under morning prayer. So what, what prayer emerges from your encounter with God's word? You've just read something. You're prayerfully. Gosh, is there a prayer that emerges from the truths of what I've just read? Sometimes there might be a longing that, that God's word you know, sparked me. And, and I can turn that into a prayer to God. Uh, sometimes it might be confession. I'm convicted. And I want to move to, to uh, confession. Uh, oftentimes the prayer will be for something for myself. Uh, sometimes a passage will remind you of somebody else, you know, a, a need that they have. And so it'll, it'll move you to praying for somebody else. But let scripture and prayer be like these, you know, you can't even separate them. They're, just, they're happening together. And then what I would do is, what I have here is, is pray over your day. And if you need, have your cell phone with your, with your, literally your calendar of your day. Look through the events of what's going to be happening that day and just take a minute to present those things to God and say, God, all right, I've got this, this, this lunch with this person. Um, here's what I need from you now. Would you, would you bless this? I've got this meeting at work. Um, I've got this issue with the kids that it's going to come up today. Um, and, and just have a conversation about first, what is it that you need from him? Ask him, here's, here's what I think I need. I need. I need courage for that conversation. I need clarity here. I need you to work in their hearts so they'd be open to hear, hearing what I have to say. Uh, and then there's also, though, um, God, what are you, as I look at the events, what is it that you're asking of me today? And again, I think prayer is as much listening to God as it is speaking to him. I think of Jesus in those, those long nights where he spent the whole night in prayer. I'm, I'm sure he was not just yapping at God for for, you know, eight hours straight. I would guess most of that was listening, trying to discern, Father, where are you calling me next? What are you wanting me to do next? And so we, we, we look at our day and say, gosh, what, what is it you're asking of me in these things? Are you asking me courage, obedience, faith? What is it? And then finally, I would just say, you know, what are, what are other needs or people that are just ongoing in my life that I would want to lift up to God that day? And then, um, so that's morning prayer. You could do that in five minutes. Uh, and then during the day, um, last week we talked a little about, you know, Paul will say, pray without ceasing. And so I think, I think there's, during the day, life is, you know, the, the day is pretty structured for a lot of us, it's fast paced, but there's these little moments to just throw up these 10 second prayers. And I would encourage you to let the, the transitions in your day be doorways into prayer. Again, Todd last week talked about prayers as doorway. So as I'm, as I'm moving from a transition from one thing to the next. So I'm, I'm about to walk through the door to go to lunch with someone. Let that be the moment where 10-second prayer, Lord. And you already prayed about it that morning. So it's like, okay, God, here's that moment. Now I need you to come through here. Um, or maybe as you're transitioning out of something, you're driving away from a, from a conversation with someone. And you just say, Lord, that just happened. Before I move to the next thing, I'm gonna take 10 seconds. I just wanna entrust them to you. I wanna entrust that situation to you. You've got that in hand. I'm gonna move on to what I have to do. So these little, just, you know, Prayers, have mercy, um, help, <laughs> help's a good prayer. Um, and then finally, evening prayer. And this for me has been in the last year, the biggest thing that's changed in my life on prayer. I, I, morning prayer has been a much more consistent discipline for me, but evening prayer in this last year has been an incredible blessing to me. And what I would encourage is having prayed through the day, you spend evening as an opportunity to look back on the day prayerfully with God, and review it with him. Um, 
St. Ignatius had something called the prayer of examine. And it's, what you're doing is basically you're going back and, and looking at the day and noticing where you experienced God. And I, that has been just such a rich blessing for me. So really, you, you kind of, I do this, I'm lying in bed. It's the last thing I do. I fall asleep to the prayer of examine oftentimes, which is a great way to fall asleep. Um, but um, you just become aware, you know, God, you're here. And, um, and then you just literally review the events of the day. You walk through your day with God and you notice a couple things. First, you know, God, what are, what are the gifts that you gave me today? And for me, what I've experienced, during the day, I'm just moving. I don't, I don't notice the gifts. But when I stop at the end of the day to take five minutes, I say, oh, yeah, man, that was a, that was a great lunch for that person. That was, that was a great meal you gave me. Um, that sweet little moment I had with my kids, oh, that was so good. Um, gosh, that, that job came through well at work today. And, and you, you see all these ways that actually God was at work um, you also maybe you notice where you wandered from God during the day. Um, where was I anxious? Where did I forget about you? And, and it's just sort of a confession. Lord, this is, this is what happened. I'm acknowledging that. And then you just give thanks to God for the day. And, and that little five-minute exercise has changed my life, honestly. Uh, I, am a, I am a glass is half-empty person by nature. Um, so if you were to ask me at the end of most of my days, like, how was your day? Uh, I mean, you could ask my wife. Uh, it's kind of like, it was, it was okay. But what, for me, as a glass half empty, what lingers are the places of, of tension, the, place, the things that didn't get done? That's kind of what I just naturally fall into. So if you'd ask me on a uh, normal day, I'd say, it was an okay day. After doing the examine, I'm like, actually, that was a great day. <laughs> that was an awesome day. God, I saw you work in 15 little ways. You blessed my life in some amazing ways. And I, I end the day feeling so much more gratitude than before. And it's been, it's been really fun to just, like, that was actually a great day. Sure, there are problems, but God, you were at work and all that stuff. Um, there's some great, you can do the examine on, there's great audio versions. Um, so Pray As You Go was a, was a um, resource I talked to you about, about scripture reading. They have the examine on there. Um, and so that's what I do. I literally put, I turn it on and I just listen to it. It's this lovely British voice that, um, you know, relax, be still. Let the worries of the day slip away. I mean, it's like the whole thing. But, um, and, and the great thing about that is, obviously, you can, it's easy to do that way. They kind of walk you through your day, and you think about, God, where did I see you? But it's also something you could do you know, with your spouse. Like, for some of us, praying together as spouses is just a hard thing. But this is something you could literally just hit play and lay together in silence and go through it together. So it's just, just a, a great option. And they have it for children, yes, and young adults and children. And I now almost never do the adult version. I either do the young adult version or the children's version, um, which says a lot. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Carrie does, takes, takes the girls through it, which is super fun. Um, uh, yeah, so that's this, this, you know, I think that's doable. I think that's an honoring way to, to be God's kids, um, walking through each day, presenting our requests to him, experiencing him through prayer. So with that, I'm going to have Grant come up, and, and we're going to pray for our nation. We're going to present our requests to God for this nation. We're going to give thanks um, for all the great blessings, and we're going to ask for the things we need. Uh, Grant is one of our elders. If you don't know him, he's a wonderful guy. All right. With that, Dave. I give it to you. Um, before we bow in prayer, I just a couple of quick reflections on prayer and our nation just to kind of preface how I'm praying, and maybe to, some part of that would impact you. I'm, 
I was thinking about this. My daughter left a few days ago for Ecuador. She's spending two months on a UNDP project down there. And uh, she's like pinging all the time. She's texting. We've got Facebook Messenger. She, thankfully, with T-Mobile, it's not a plug for T-Mobile, but you get free roaming abroad. So she's able to connect on a regular basis with her home. And uh, it, it makes all the difference. It's great for us, great for her. There's this connection. It reminded me of prayer, the sense that uh, we have that throughout the day, that was walking through those doors, plugging in. But you know, the premise there is that Sophia is somewhere else, but her home is here. And if we are believers, as we become adopted into the family of God, as we become citizens of a new kingdom, we're actually told we become aliens and strangers here on earth because of our, he our heavenly kingdom. And we're able to thankfully tap in through his spirit and through prayer into those heavenly resources that are linked to home. And we get to live that out. And there's a side of that which when we, and I'd say that would almost be the bulk of our sermons, is about this reorientation of what it means to actually be citizens of heaven, to not be so rooted here, to not be so American or Californian or USC graduate or members of this family clan, that that's where my identity is, but my identity is somewhere else, and those things can't give me the deepest things that I'm needing. And as a result, blind patriotism or whatever just wouldn't quite be the right place. So God bless America isn't, you know, God bless America and to heck, that was the right word right there, to heck with the others, uh, that we're more important than whatnot. That said, so I would be promoting that in general with what comes up here. I was challenged this week by a passage in, in Jeremiah 29 where the uh, Jews are stuck in Babylon. They're exiles there. They're in another place. And in that case, they're not happy where they are. But it's still the same idea. They belong to one place, but they're stuck somewhere else. They're foreigners and aliens in a land. And they said, God, rescue me from that. Let me be linked to that other thing and not here. And his answer is, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also... Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And that verse came to me as I was reading an article saying, is it okay to say God bless America? And they were saying, well, it's, they use this as a passage saying that it doesn't matter even if our citizenship is somewhere else. We are planted here and we're challenged to bloom where we're planted. We're asked to pray for the blessings of what's here. We're asked to contribute to the, the soil of what's here so that blessing flourishes here. So uh, we are here, and this is the place we get excited about. We can pray for it. We can praise God for it. We can be a part of bringing change when it's needed. Uh, but we can have that ability to be otherworldly but still deeply rooted in the here. So with that, let's uh, spend a little bit of time in praying for America. Father, thank you so much for the uh, particulars of the soil into which we've been planted here in America. We say that uh, we want to present our request with thanksgiving, as we read in the passage from Philippians 4, and there is so much to thank you for about America. We want to thank you for the freedoms that exist, the freedoms to worship, the freedoms to express ourselves, uh, the freedom to experiment and innovate and dare to do things business-wise and commercially the freedom to uh, believe uh, beyond what we see just today. These things that are inherent seem to be part 
of the water that we drink in America. We're grateful for them. And we're thankful for those who sacrificed so much over the years to keep these freedoms alive for us and to uh, step out as promoting those values in other parts of the world. As many as followed our leadership, we thank you that the freedoms existed, and I thank you that those freedoms have been preserved, both through that sacrifice and through the commitment of people who want to make this a great place. And we thank you that so many elements of what makes America great are rooted in you, are rooted in freedoms we found in you, in love of one another that's found in you, in community that's built around deeper values and uh, people of God who have over the years played such an instrumental role in the development of this nation. For these things, we give you praise. But we also present to you our petitions. And some of those petitions, especially at this season, are rooted in anxiety. And we don't want to take that anxiety upon us. We want to cast it upon you and say that you care for this nation even more than we do. And when we've seen political disunity, when we've seen growing racial discord, when we've seen uh, civility in some ways disappearing from public life, we would want to present those things back to you and say, may you preserve this nation. And we want to say in the middle of that as well that if, repeat that phrase from Psalm uh, 127 we heard today that if unless the Lord builds something, the builders build it in vain. And we would pray that the foundations as we mentioned would be built upon by spiritual building blocks in this nation. That there would be a, a preservation of some of that history. There would be a deep commitment by the people of God to be salt and light in this nation. We would ask you to forgive us, Lord, for ways in which the church has retreated from society instead of stepping forth and being uh, that seasoning that is so desperately needed, that yeast that can leaven the whole loaf. And when we pray about being that kind of a light, we would also pray for ourselves <clears throat> that each of us would be ambassadors of the uh, life that is found in you, the true life, the true citizenship, but also the freedom that's found in you. That we would step forth with confidence as individuals, we would be light in our neighborhood, we'd be light in our occupations, and uh, even... In our social events, we would have perhaps this 4th of July that we would be looking for, enter those things, looking for ways in which the freedom that we talk about as a nation is actually a freedom that's inside me that I found life in you and that I want to share that in freedom to people around me. We pray that each of us would be that kind of uh, a glowing light in this soil that you've planted us in America. In the name of Jesus, we pray.